7, verses 51 to 59. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the backside of your message notes. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, today's kind of an anniversary of sorts that most of us are not really thinking about, but it's a very important one. 66 years ago today, on June 2nd, 1953, do you know what happened? Probably not. Elizabeth Alexandra Mary was crowned Queen of England. 66 years a day. She was only 27 years old when this happened. And now, 66 years later, she is the longest reigning British monarch in history and, uh, and the oldest as well. And as, far as, uh, and as far as any of us can tell, she shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. May God bless and keep her in good health. However, while she was crowned 66 years ago, Elizabeth, believe it or not, had already been queen for about a year and a half. She was crowned on this date 66 years ago, but she ascended to the throne in February of 1952, the year before. How can that be? How can it be that she had ascended to the throne a year and a half before she actually was crowned as, a uh, as the queen? How can it be that the crowning occurred so much later than when she actually began to rule as Queen of England. Well, she actually became Queen of England on February 6, 1952, because that is the day when Princess Elizabeth and her husband were in Kenya when they received word that her father, King George, during the night had succumbed to lung cancer. And so she received word, and in the, the privy there, the special leadership of the, uh, 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 great, uh, the United Kingdom there, they officially anointed her or proclaimed her to be Queen of 
um, uh, of England. She acceded to the throne at that day. On, on, she quickly returned home, and in a series of proclamations, she was uh, a pronounced queen, effective immediately, and pronouncements made both in the United Kingdom and in all the other places which were part of the royal, of the royal kingdom, including Australia, and etc. And you can see, if you look on YouTube, you can find anything on e- YouTube, you can find a news report about her accession when she was first ascended to the throne at about 25 years old. It took a year and a half before she... And, and then a year and a half later, she was formally crowned. Uh, on the, she ascended to the throne on February 6, 1952, but she was not formally crowned queen until almost a year and a half later. Why is this so? Well, in part, this was in order to give the nation time to grieve over the death of their former monarch, her father, King George. And in part, it was in order to have adequate time to make preparation for the grand coronation ceremony, which you can also find on YouTube if you want to take a look, uh, a look at that. So her ascension occurred in 1952. Her coronation occurred in 1953. Now, why do I tell you this? Just because it happens to be that date, June 2nd? Uh, of 2019, and I wanted to give you a history lesson? No. Her story is a fitting illustration of the importance of this day on the Christian calendar. Because not only if you are in the United Kingdom do you celebrate this day as her coronation day, if you're in a church in the United Kingdom today on this day, you will have a more important date to celebrate, and it will be Ascension Day. Ascension Sunday, or four days before on Thursday, Ascension Day, the annual celebration, which has been has record of having been celebrated as far back as around 65, 66 A.D. That far back, the, the celebration within 30 or 40 years of Jesus' ascension to the Father. Ascension Day is, uh, is the day that we're remembering when Jesus, after having been raised from the dead, was with his disciples uh, 40 days before he ascended to the Father. So this is, of course, the anniversary of the coronation of Elizabeth as Queen of England, but it is also, and more importantly, the anniversary of the holiday which remembers the ascension of Jesus, not as King of England, but as King of all the earth. Now, his coronation has not yet happened, right? His coronation will happen at the last day. So we are in that time in between his ascension and his coronation, that time between the, the, between the kingdoms when it was inaugurated on Resurrection Day and, and begin to initiate it at Ascension Day, but will not be consummated until that final day at the great marriage supper, right? The marriage supper of the land, Lamb, towards which we look when Jesus will be crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. But just as the queen was the queen, before she received her crown, our king is the king before he receives his crown. Ascension Day is one of the four great holidays commemorating Jesus' life. The other three are Christmas, which celebrates his incarnation, Good Friday, which celebrates his crucifixion, and Easter, which celebrates his resurrection, and now, of course, we celebrate his ascension. And yet, Ascension Sunday is obscure for many of us, for many Christian believers. In fact, I confess that it was an obscure holiday to me until about 10 years ago or so. 
I utterly ignored the ascension of Jesus in my ministry and in my life. Never thought about it. I would talk about Pentecost Sunday, which actually is next Sunday. I hope you don't miss it. That's a good day as well. Uh, but uh, not too much, uh, not at all about Ascension Sunday. In fact, the first time I ever preached an Ascension sermon was about 10 years or go. After having preached on Ascension Day 20 or 25 years before that, it was just another day. So when I'd say to you it's something we often ignore, I put myself in that category, and I say it is not something that we ought to be ignoring. Why is it important, we might ask? Why is it important to remember Ascension Day? After all, Jesus went up to heaven. He said he'd return. And in the meantime, he said, tell everybody about me. Okay, we're doing it. The, what's the deal about that? Well, those things are true, of course. But the Ascension of Jesus means much more than that. The Ascension of Jesus is not about Jesus' absence. It's about his enthronement. There's a big difference between absence and enthronement. We're going to study the ascension today by taking a look at this uh, story in the, in the letter to the, uh, the letter, excuse me, the book of Acts, which Dominique read for us, which gives us an indication of what it looks like to see Jesus right now, where you find him and what he's doing. And we see that referred to at, uh, at, at, um, uh, at, at, Stephen's, uh, at Stephen's martyrdom. He is the first Christian martyrdom. And just before he martyred, and just before he was stoned to death by an angry crowd, he had a vision of Jesus, which wasn't just a dream. It was an opening up of his eyes to the true reality which exists behind what we see in front of us. What, so let's take a look at a little bit about what Stephen said, what Stephen saw, and how Stephen died. What he said, what he saw, and how he died. I just had Dominique read for you the last little bit of it, because it's actually a very long section of Scripture altogether. And some, a lot of you will be familiar with the story. Many of you will not. I can't take the time to tell you that whole story, except to encourage you to read Acts, Acts chapters 6 and ch chapter 7. But a brief summary of what's going on in this text. Why was he killed and what made them so angry? He is the first Christian martyr. And in fact, he is my namesake, Stephen, although I spelled my name the proper way with a V. I have a feeling PH is probably the proper way, but I always was glad mine was with a V. I thought V was a more masculine way to spell the word Steve, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, you agree, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, it's Stephen was chosen as a, a very important lay leader of the church. In fact, with reference to what Jana, Jana said, uh, said earlier, they had discovered in their church that uh, they were not they were not handling the administrative details of their church well enough. And so it was causing some difficulty uh, in the church. And apparently in the early days of the church, the pastors did everything. They took care of everything. Now, if some of you are here about quarter till nine today or 20 till nine today. What did you see this pastor doing? Yeah, yeah, he was sweating. He was sweating pretty good. 
I was doing, I was waiting on tables rather than thinking about preaching the word, right, Jana? You're in Acts chapter 6. They had that same problem. Now, we don't have that problem usually, but this is just a day when all our normal crew who normally set up here on Sunday mornings uh, were gone, and a lot of us were like a Keystone cops trying to make it, make it happen as best that we could. And uh, it all came together, and uh, I'm really grateful for that. But that was a problem they were having there. Stephen was one of the seven men who were chosen to become key leaders in the church. But as it turned out, Stephen wasn't just a great uh, guy to put up the sound system. He turned out to be a great preacher. He began to be a great preacher and he caught him, found himself uh, in trouble. And, uh, uh, and people were very uh, upset about him. And so I want to read to you that he was finally, uh, finally arrested by the Sanhedrin where it says about them, Stephen in chapter 6 verse 8, Stephen, full of grace, was doing great wonders and signs among the people, and those who belonged to certain synagogues could not uh, rose up and disputed with the Spirit, and they secretly instigated men who heard, said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. This the same council before which Jesus had stood not long before. It's the same and which had condemned him to death. This is the same council before whom Peter had stood already after that, that healing by the gate, uh, the gate beautiful, Peter and John. He was not condemned to death. He was put into prison, but God let him out, right? And uh, so, uh, uh, and now Stephen's brought before this same council. And it says, um, and they set up, False witnesses who said, this man never seeks to speak words against this holy place. What was the holy place? It was the temple. Speaking words against the temple. And the law. The holy word of God. He's speaking against the holy word of God. In fact, he's already said they're speaking against Moses. For we've heard him say that Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs delivered to us. And uh, so he began to defend himself and he preached this long sermon. And in, this, in the course of this sermon, he, he talked about the, the holy place and about the holy book and about the holy leaders that they had had because they had, they had criticized him for his uh, disparaging of the leadership, Moses. They had criticized him because they said he was speaking against the holy place, the temple. They had criticized him because they said he was speaking against the law. So he said in his three-point outline, which you look carefully, you can see it there, I want you to know something, the truth about both the holy place and the holy word, the holy book, and the holy leaders. About the holy place, he tended to say, he said, the, the temple, he said, God's presence has never been limited to a physical be building. He talked about Abraham, to whom God appeared in Mesopotamia, and Joseph, to whom God appeared in Egypt, and Moses, to whom God appeared in Midian, and the tabernacle, which was a mobile presence of God long before the temple was ever set up in a particular place at a particular time. They were never meant to worship the temple, but the God who could live wherever he wanted to live. That was his defense point, number one. And then he spoke about the holy book, and he said, wait a minute, guys, you're talking about me not keeping the law? Why don't you look at yourselves? Our people have never kept the law. We have always failed. He told the story about the golden calf. He told the story about the various other prophets and all the different ways that they had oh, disobeyed the law of God. You have never kept the law. How can you criticize me? for?" And, I'm, and he, he would have said, had he had the time, I am not saying against the law, but Jesus 
Jesus has summarized the law, but that's not in his message. And then about God's leadership. Yeah, you say, speaking against Moses, but look at our own history. We have always uh, 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 persecuted our leadership. Moses, we, were, we turned our backs on Moses, blaming him for the plagues that had come into our lives. We turned our back on our brother, Joseph. We turned our back, ultimately, he said, on Jesus himself. You'll always have rejected God's delivered. This is a sermon, powerful sermon to say what you're saying is not true. And as he gets towards the end of his sermon, then we see what not just what, what Stephen saw, but now what Stephen said. Or excuse me, what excuse me, what Stephen said, but now what Stephen saw. Every time I do something like what I just did, just get my word, I remember my dad who would always say, Boy, my tang just got all tangled up. <laughs> My tang just got tangled up. Yeah. I don't know if he made that up. He was full of stuff like that. I, I don't suppose he did. Uh, but uh, I, that's where I first heard it. And so, yeah, we're, he had, this is what he had said. You've always uh, known that God is mobile. You don't worship the building. You've always known that we've never really obeyed the holy book. You've always known that throughout our history, we've, we've, cruz, uh, we've uh, criticized and persecuted our prophets and our, our leaders. And now as he finishes of that, uh, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced before the coming of the righteous one who you now have betrayed and murdered. Who's the righteous one? Jesus. He says, we're just as guilty towards Jesus. We've always been guilty. And he said, you received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen was on trial for his life and he held back no punches. He told the truth. And it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is the part I want you to see, gazed into heaven and saw what it was that he saw. What Stephen saw was this. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, behold, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, picture this. We don't know whether Stephen had ever met Jesus or not. Chances are good that he had. We don't know. This is still early. But he's been gone. He was ascended into the heavens. He left them 40 days before. He certainly saw the resurrected Jesus, probably saw the, 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 the Jesus prior to his resurre crucifixion and resurrection. And now he is. And now here he is, 40 days later, oh, less, uh, less than a month over. And all of a sudden, the, the curtain gets opened. And there he sees Jesus. Jesus. And he's standing 
right next to God. This is not a picture of a far away heaven place that is open to see a window way up in the sky. That's not what that's saying. What it's saying is that Peter's eyes were opened to the true reality of what is going on right now, that deeper reality beyond simply the physicality of our lives. But he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who last he had seen him going up into the heavens. Now the heavens are opened, and he can't believe it. And there is Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He can't help but say, look, there he is. Of course, they don't see it. <laughs> they don't see it. What a beautiful thing it is that, Jesus, that, that Stephen saw. What did he see? He saw the heavenly enthronement of Jesus. He saw God. And Jesus standing at his right hand. He does not simply mean that Jesus was going up somewhere up there. And oh, he just have, oh, there he is. That's him. No, he's seeing the heavenly court scene. Here he is on trial before a human court with men who are able and do make the decision to kill him. And when he sees that, he looks up and he sees the heavenly court. God himself in, in reminiscences of Ezekiel's vision. We saw the wheel and the wheel and the wheel and all, and, and looking up at the wheel, and ultimately he saw a man, undescribed, a man at the top. I think in some ways he's seeing that Ezekiel vision, and the man at the top is Jesus. It's him. Or the apostle Paul, who when he was walking a little bit after this to Damascus, and all of a sudden the light comes before him, and he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, in the face of God, he sees none other than Jesus himself. Yes, this is the heavenly enthronement of Jesus. Ascension means enthronement. Jesus was asked, are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? In Acts chapter 1, he said, it's not for you to know the times, the dates the Father set by his own hand, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then after this, he was taken up from them. And, then the, and they were looking up, and the angels came as he, he was looking up. And they said, guys, why are you staring at the heavens? This same Jesus will come back someday. So go and get about the business of first waiting and then receiving the Spirit and then going, being Jesus' witnesses in this world. Ascension means enthronement. This is why the, it is important for us to know that Jesus is the ultimate king of the, of the world. Jesus is the ultimate king of this world. All authority in heaven and on earth. He has, has been given to me, he said in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He had all authority in heaven and on earth. And so now he is returning to the, to the Father. He says to them, wait, I'm going to send my spirit to you. So we have, that'll be next week. Come back for that one. Wait, but I want to give to you the blessings of the kingdom which now belong to me. I am in charge of this world. It didn't look like it when he was crucified on that cross at the behest of religion and power of politics. That's what put him there at the cross. Evil itself put him there on that. It didn't look like it. But Jesus divested all of that evil of its power and was raised up from the dead. And now is king of kings and lord of lords. But he went home to home to take a leadership 
It's a similar in a part way to what Elizabeth had to do. She was in Kenya when she got word there by the trees. They didn't have internet, you know. She took her a while to find this out. All of a sudden, she discovered she was queen. And she needed to quickly go back home to be able to be pronounced queen of England. Jesus was going back home to his father. That's why in the first Christian sermon, Peter's Christian sermon, he said, he said, um, being, Acts 2, 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What? He's been exalted at the right hand of God. Jesus, who had come from the Father and been clothed in human flesh, had now completed the work he came to do and was now returning to the Father. What was that work? It was the work of redemption. He was returning as the true and rightful king of the world. He ascended the Father to take his place as the new king and as the head of the human race. He ascended the Father for that purpose. Jesus, in his glorified body, and I didn't realize this until much later in my life, so don't feel bad if you don't know. He still has that resurrected body. He didn't leave when he went up in the clouds. We have a human being, the God-man, Jesus, God in the flesh, resurrected in the heavens today. That Jesus is there. He has a glorified human body and is ascended to the throne at the right hand of his Father. As I mentioned before, his kingdom was inaugurated at that point. And someday it will be consummated when he returns to consummate his kingdom on earth as in heaven. We await that coronation day, but we live now with the knowledge that no matter what kind of stuff we see in our world, what kind of stuff when we see our lives, there is a true king of this world, and his name is Jesus. Ascension means not absence, but enthronement. And let me ask you this. Have you bowed your knee Toward that king. Because that is the ultimate king of this world. He is the one. And remember, he is a king who led by serving. Who led by sacrifice. Who lived for the good of others. If you want to be in his kingdom, you got to be like him. Too many times we say Jesus is the king of the world. And we're going to use the weapons of this world to accomplish the goals of the kingdom. But what did the apostle Paul say? We do not use those weapons. Many well-meaning Christians over the centuries and even of recent days have thought that the way to accomplish God's kingdom was through using the weapons of this world. It's never been that case. What happens to us is we get corrupt in the meantime. Jesus said, there's a way they lead out there, but it's not to be that way for you. Whoever wishes to be great in you, among you must be least of all, and he that is the greatest must be the servant of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate king of this world. He saw the heavenly enthronement of Jesus, and then he also saw the heavenly verdict of Jesus. Because you see, he is standing there, he is standing there at the right hand of the Father. He is our advocate with the Father. He ever lives to intercede for us. He is the one who comes to our defense. 
He is the one who has given his life so that he could speak to us on behalf of the Father. And while the human court around Stephen was condemning him to death, the heavenly court of of the true court of this whole world was ushering him into life. And we have to ask ourselves the question, whose verdict matters to you more? The verdict of your friends? The verdict of your boss? The verdict of your passions? The verdict of your pocketbook? What verdict matters to you? What should matter to us is the heavenly verdict of Jesus Christ, who has given to us his forgiveness for our sin and his presence in our lives and has made us the full and new humanity that we are meant to be. The heavenly verdict of Stephen was that he was acquitted by the heavenly court. And, of course, the verdict which has been given to you and to me because of Jesus' resurrection is that we have been declared not guilty. All of us have failed before a holy God. All of us have failed. But because of Jesus Christ, as we trust in him, we receive that heavenly verdict of not guilty. Have you responded in faith to that gift through Jesus Christ? So we see what Jesus, what Stephen said, what he saw. But let's look briefly and quickly how Stephen died. Stephen died with the very words of Jesus on his lips when he proclaimed to that crowd of religious people that there was Jesus standing the right hand of God. They could hold their anger in no more, and they cast him out. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped the ears. They rushed as one at him. They cast him out, and they stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is a beautiful martyrdom story. It's original in history. People never died like this before that time. They did many times afterwards because when Jesus died, what did Jesus do? But Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And so Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And now Stephen is saying at his moment of death, Lord, do not Hold this sin against them. He died willingly for the sake of the cause toward which he had been a witness. In fact, the word martyr means witness. That's what the word means. He was witnessing to that. Stephen died with the words of Jesus on his lips. Jesus died with the words of his uh, killers on his lips. Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So yes, we embrace the heavenly throne room of Jesus. We're grateful for the heavenly verdict of Jesus. But with Peter, with Stephen's death, we're thankful for the heavenly example of Stephen, who died like Jesus died, who gave his life like Jesus gave his life. And of course, as we close every week here, we close with remembrance of Jesus and his death for us. Let's have prayer while we close. Heavenly Father, 
we're here today on a day when there are many things going on in our world which have little to do with Jesus. But we recognize today that you are the true King of kings and the true Lord of lords, that you accomplished that by giving your life as a sacrifice for our sin. We're grateful that you bore our humanity so that you could bear our sin, that you could offer us, offer us your redemption, your rescue. We want, along with Stephen today, to be able to see behind the curtain of all the news feed, all the television feed, all the chatter on the radio, all the chatter around our lives, all the cacophony of voices within our own hearts, and see the truth that there is Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We honor him, our crucified and risen and ascended Savior today. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.